Good morning to you, and yes, I still believe in the promise of God to Noah, even though it's being tested. We do gather um, during the, the summer, as Brian mentioned, and explore some why questions, why we do certain things, and we go back to our source, um, to the scriptures, to God's um, written revelation to us. And explore with the Apostle Paul um, some of the, his guidance to the church in Corinth as they were forming in these infant days of uh, the church. And we've, we've looked at, uh, among a number of things, uh, why we read the Bible, um, why we have communion, and why we have bread and juice. And today, why here women preach. It's not a universal practice and even run into here a couple of situations usually happens around um, the time that we're nominating for officers, for deacons and elders um, that people will ask. Now, how do we have women as elders? And, um, and actually within the last 18 months, I had someone who was visiting, who had been a regular visitor for a while, drop me a note after a worship service in which a, a woman preached telling me we needed to repent uh, for allowing that. So still is an issue um, um, among us today. But as we're walking through um, Paul's letter to Corinth, this is what, we, um, what he's addressing then and how it relates to us today. Now... I'm going to ask you to, um, for, if, uh, to pull out your, your Bibles or your pew Bibles. Turn to page 932. We'll have it on the screen also. But this, this is style of sermon don't usually preach, but it's really one more of teaching, uh, more of walking through verse by verse to understand this particular passage, more along the lines of instruction. So as uh, my kindergarten teacher used to say to me, um, Mrs. Robinson, uh, put your thinking caps on for this one. Let's uh, pray together. Gracious God, thank you for your written word. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for your grace. As you lead us to fulfill your purposes, oftentimes in, in spite of us, we give you thanks that you indeed are sovereign and in control. And we seek your word for us today. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. We'll start actually with uh, verse 2 of uh, chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians found on page 932. Hear the word of the Lord. I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions just as I handed them on to you. But I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man, and the husband is the head of his wife, and God is the head of Christ. Any man who prays or prophesies with something on his head disgraces his head. But any woman who prays or prophesies with her head unveiled disgraces her head. It is one and the same thing as having her head shaved. For if a woman will not veil herself when she should cut off her hair, then she should cut off her hair. But if it is disgraceful for a woman to have her hair cut off or to be shaved, she should wear a veil. 
For a man ought not to have his head veiled, since he is the image and reflection of God. But woman is the reflection of man. Indeed, man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for the sake of woman, but woman for the sake of man. For this reason, a woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man or man independent of woman. For just as woman came from man, so man comes through woman. But all things come from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head unveiled? Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is degrading to him? But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory. For her hair is given to her for a covering. But if anyone is disposed to be contentious, we have no such custom, nor do the churches of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, after hearing that for the first time cold, now you know why. You've got to put your thinking caps on for this one. Let's um, look at, just walk through this again, starting with verse 2 and 3. I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions just as I handed them on to you. But I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man and the husband is the head of his wife. And God is the head of Christ. Now, what we need to do here as we look at this particular verse is what does head mean? In my reading, I imagine most of your readings, when we see the word head, we think of authority. They're the, the head, like the head of a company. In the first century, authority wasn't necessarily the meaning for head. Whereas we give all of the thinking producing to the head, the head sort of rules the body. In the first century, that actually was given more to the heart. That's why you see so, many bibli- so much biblical language to, to heart. Um, the, like Paul saying, open the eyes of your heart. Head here m- means source. Like we say the head of a river. It's, it's not hierarchical. It's relational. If, if indeed it were hierarchical meaning of head, that then we would think the pattern of the verse would be hierarchical. It should go God to Christ, Christ to man, and man to woman. But that's not the order that he takes. Remember, he, he, he takes the order of Christ to man. Man to woman, God to Christ. As we read through this, we'll see even more how what he's referring to is creation. The creation event of Genesis 1 and 2 of how man came from Christ. Paul's understanding that Christ is pre-existent, part of the Godhead, that Christ was, was working and active in the element of creation. And at that time, then, God, out of man, created woman. And then, jumping to the incarnation, 
from the Godhead, from the triune Godhead, Jesus Christ came to live with us. So it's not a hierarchical pattern, but one of source, one of, as we'll see in a moment, repre- uh, demonstrating who, who represents whom. That man coming from Christ represents, reflects even on Christ. As a woman coming from man, she reflects to her husband, wife to husband. And as Christ reflects to God, to the Godhead. So, key to understand that definition, that use of the word head that Paul is using there. Any man, verse 4. Any man who prays or prophecies with something on his head disgraces his head. Right? So, Paul's saying that if a man prays or prophecies in the worship service, that if he puts something on his head, somehow that brings shame to his head. Now, this is another tricky part, because he's using head interchangeably here, from the literal head to the metaphorical head. I know, follow along with me. Just stick with me. Come on, just stick with me. You know, this is, goes back to G.K. Chesterton. You know, let's, uh, we're, we're, where he talks about reading the Bible like eating fried chicken. You know, there's some, some parts you can eat and, and you can uh, just enjoy other parts you got to gnaw on for a while. You know, and so this is, we're, we're gnawing on the bones here. But uh, the, the head of man, he tells us earlier, is Christ. So somehow, if man prophecies or prays in a worship gathering in Corinth in the first century, if he puts some, something on his head, that brings shame to Christ, who is his head. So the, the one who is man's source is Christ. He, Christ is man's head. It's in a, in a relational way. And so some, the understanding in first century Corinth was if the man put something on his head, then it brought shame to his head, who is Christ. Now, verse 5. But any woman who prays or prophecies with her head unveiled disgraces her head. Then if a woman prays and prophecies in the worship service, but does so without something on her head, then first century Corinth, that would bring shame and disgrace to her husband. Who he's just, Paul just said, was her head. It is one and the same thing as having her head shaved. For if a woman will not veil herself, then she should cut off her hair. But if it is disgraceful for a woman to have her hair cut off or to be shaved, she should wear a veil. For a man ought not to have his head veiled, since he is the image and reflection of God. Again, referring back to that head language, referring back to Genesis 1, in a sense, sort of the chronological order. But woman is the reflection of man. Indeed, and again, you'll see, hearkening back, to Genesis 1 and 2. Man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for the sake of woman, but woman for the sake of man. Now, 
what Paul is, is getting at. And then in verses 8 and 10, as 8 and 9, as men and women are prophesying and praying in the worship service, there is a social decorum, social traditions. Again, what Paul mentioned at the beginning, back in verse 2, that maintaining these traditions maintain these understandings of distinctions between gender in public gatherings in first century Corinth. And those distinctions need to be maintained when men or women are praying and prophesying in public. A lot of cultural distinctions of the day about what needs to go on your head, Length of hair, those kind of things that were held culturally as true or at least very important. And as we walk through this, what I think Paul is saying is, you know, don't get caught up in those things. Just abide by them. In your Christian freedom, abide by those those cultural limitations, those cultural guidelines... But we get so caught up in the, for, in, in the trees, we miss the forest, that we, did you even think to realize that so far, Paul is assuming that women will pray in prophecy in the church. And prophecy, Paul defines in chapter 14, just a page over, verse 3. Those who prophecy speak to other people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. I mean, to prophecy is to speak publicly before others, to build them up in Christ. It is the very definition, the very hope of anyone who would preach. So, he's referring also, or building upon, Acts chapter 2 at the day of Pentecost... Verse 17, where Peter, quoting, talks about the Spirit being poured upon all flesh. Acts chapter 2, verse 17. I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. So the the radical point that Paul is almost even assuming is that in first century Corinth, men and women will speak loudly, publicly, before those that are gathered. It's just so in doing, saying do so in a culturally appropriate way. In our language, don't rub it in anybody's face. Don't use your newfound freedom in Christ to rub it in people's face. I think this is all under the context of chapter 23 of the verse of, in 1 Corinthians just prior. Uh, 23 verse 10. Where Paul says, All things are lawful, but not all things are beneficial. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Keep the attention on Jesus. Don't get so focused on the guidelines and all the rest that you cause unnecessary shame upon Christ, upon your family, upon the church. There is indeed, he makes a distinction here between men and women, and there are certain ways that our culture, in first century Corinth, 
require that. So let's, in our freedom, live according to that, but express our freedom by allowing men and women to pray and prophecy preach publicly. Now maybe I'm hoping and praying that, okay, I'm sort of tracking here, I'm getting this. Well, don't get overconfident. Verse 10. For this reason, a woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. All right, because of the angels. Let's put that aside for right now. But just recognize what Paul is saying here is for this reason, what the veil, the cover on a woman's head is a sign of her authority. All right, well, what about the angels? Really good question. I'll tell you what I think. And th- this isn't mine alone. There's a couple uh, that's gathered from studying other scholars that know more to this. But they surmise that what was going on in Corinth was that women in their newfound freedom were expressing it in ways that were overturning some of the traditions and cultural mores of the day. And in so doing, bringing shame to Christ. Bringing more trouble than their, their freedom should have, have brought. And what they were thinking, it was a, what we, we call an over-realized eschatology. I know that helps a lot. But if sometime in, in the newspaper you read that, you'll uh, know what it means. It means they thought heaven had already come. That the end times had already come and that now all distinctions between men and women were gone and they, that we now live like the angels. Because the angels are not male and female. And so they were now living in that freedom in, in a way that was unnecessarily, in a sense, rubbing it in the face of those around them. And so his reference to the angels to say, no, we aren't angels. There already are angels. So... In our culture, these are the ways that we understand men and women differently. And we we show those distinctions. So let's live according to those in the freedom that we have in Christ. Now, verse 11. If you think, ah, this is just a whole bunch of hogwash. I don't know where you're getting that. This This is the text that makes you think, wait a minute. There's something about these first um, nine verses, ten verses, that isn't... If if I read those first ten verses as an authority, understanding authority, God to Christ, Christ to man, man to woman, then verse 11 turns that upside down. Nevertheless... And I think the reason that this verse is here is because Paul wants to be sure that we don't misunderstand what he's saying. We don't read those verses as hierarchical, but we understand them as relation. We understand head to mean source and not authority. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man or man independent of woman. For just as woman came from man, so man comes through woman. But all things come from God. 
in a sense, summarizing the very thing that we're, that we're saying. That in Christ now, we are equal. We are uh, come from one another. We depend on one another. Yes, there was God, and then there was man, and then woman from man, but the next man had to come from a woman. And the cycle then continues. And so in God, all are for His glory. Which is similar to what he said at the very end of chapter 10. So verse 31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. That's the principle that he's applying in this particular situation. And then, then he goes on then, verses 12 through 15, to talk about, again, hair and, and veil and unveiled and, and following the customs of the churches in that day. Taken all as a whole, we then can look at this passage and understand it to be Paul saying, yes, you have freedom in Christ, but don't use that freedom to rub it in the face of others or don't express that freedom for your, just for your own ability to express it, but use it in a way that will not bring shame and disgrace in the, the culture around you, to, to God or to others, in the minds of those outside the church. So, two weeks ago, when Jean was preaching, should she have been wearing a veil on her head? The answer is no. Those are not the, the cultural needs of our day. Those are not the way that we show distinction of male and female. Well, then what does this passage have to say? And what are the the so that's as it applies to us today? Well, a couple things. One is just an understanding that some parts of Scripture take in-depth study to really understand them. That there are times when the scripture that was written 2,000 years ago or beyond in, in worlds and in cultures that were so different than ours in languages that are that's not English. That it takes the study and the hard intellectual work to understand and apply it. Secondly, there are followers of Jesus Christ who would disagree with everything that I've just said. Well, almost everything. I know them. They're my brothers and sisters in Christ. And they disagree with that understanding of that particular passage. And we go round and round. Well, what what does verse 11 mean then? Why is it even in there? I mean, obviously, women are praying or prophesying in public. And he doesn't, why didn't he just say, don't do that? I won't give you... Their arguments back. That's uh, for another time. But they're still brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and we work together for the glory of God and to pursue Jesus together. We will have differences on significant issues that do cause differences of opinion and interpretation and understanding, but we don't then demonize uh, one another. And, and call one names 
except brother and sister in Christ. And indeed know that in the end, one of us is wrong. And the the last thing to apply from this is as we look uh, here, I mean, obviously we do and and have in this particular church for decades celebrated the gifts of God and understanding, this understanding of Scripture and understanding the place of men and women um, in the, the church of Jesus Christ. But as we continue to move forward, as God continues to to lead us into new places, as the the changes around us occur, and we try to adapt and take the the, the message and use different methods to apply it, we have that freedom to do that. But we have to watch our arrogance in our freedom so that, that we not celebrate and bring that change in such a way that we cause division bring shame on Christ or on His church. Now, obviously, one of the things that we're celebrated today with, uh, with women is it, music has that. Video screens can have that. Part of the, the reason of trying to bring those changes in our midst as the culture changes in those ways, the methods change of communicating the good news We do so in the freedom of Christ, but with an awareness of the traditions and the customs, bringing affirmation to those, affirming those, and seeking with each one to bring glory to Christ. Amen.